Welcome, everyone, uh, to a special out of cycle uh, and a very brief episode of Dangerous Thoughts. I'm Carter Laren. Um, I just wanted to take a moment to remember uh, the author P.J. O'Rourke. Uh, I just learned he died the other day of lung cancer at the age of uh, 74, I think. And for those of you who don't know who PJ was, uh, he was a political satirist. Uh, he called himself a conservative, but he had an irreverent kind of libertine streak to him. He, you know, he wrote for Rolling Stone. Um, you know, in one moment he would be embellishing stories about his drug crazed escapades across the country. And in the next moment, it'd write a book with like a hawkish title, like give war a chance. But even in that book, uh, you would find chapters like Notes Towards a Blacklist for the 1990s, The Deep Thoughts of Lee Iacocca, and Sex with Dr. Ruth. Um, he mocked almost everyone on both sides of the aisle uh, back when more people thought in terms of Democrat versus Republican. Um, in fact, there's a relatively famous quote of his that that goes like this. The Democrats are the party that says government will make you smarter, taller, richer, and remove the crabgrass on your lawn. The Republicans are the party that says government doesn't work, and then they get elected and prove it. Um, look, I, I obviously didn't always agree with him. I'm not a conservative. Uh, but in many ways, he was prescient. He warned us about what he called safety Nazis back in the 80s. Um, and he did have a lasting impact on my life, or at least on my political outlook. Um, my first encounter with his writing was in, um, I think it was probably 1991, might have been 92. I was in our high school library. Now, remember, I had a markedly prudish upbringing, right? No swearing, no taking the Lord's name in vain. We didn't even talk about sex or anything like that. Um, and here I am, I'm wandering around the high school library and I stumble into this book, this book sitting on the shelves of our high school library. It's called Parliament of Whores, a lone humorist attempt to explain the entire U.S. government. And, you know, being the wide-eyed kind of innocent teenager that I was, the shock value of this title worked on me. So I picked it up and... Uh, I turned to the table of contents and I happened to open to this page, which is the second page in the table of contents. And my eyes happened to fall on this title for a section of the book. Our government, what the fuck do they do all day? And why does it cost so goddamn much money? <laughs> and there are other titles of chapters here. There's a chapter on agricultural policy called how to tell your ass from this particular hole in the ground. Uh, there's a chapter on the federal budget titled, Would You Kill Your Mother to Pave I-95? Uh, so I, you know, I had to read this book, of course. And, uh, and I immediately fell in love with his writing. And even long after my political views began to solidify and diverge from P.J. O'Rourke's political views, I always appreciated reading his work. Um, his kind of biting wit and sarcasm always made me smile. Uh, 
uh, and I'll miss him. I'll miss him. So I thought I would read a few passages uh, in honor of PGA O'Rourke. For those of you who don't know anything about him or never heard of him or whatever. So I'm just going to read a little bit. We'll start with Parliament of Horse. Don't worry, I won't read too much, but I want to get get you to uh, understand the flavor of what PJ O'Rourke was was like. What it was like reading him. This is in the preface to Parliament of Horse. He writes, I decided to write about the United States government after I had spent some years writing about awful things that happened to foreigners overseas. It occurred to me that some pretty awful things happened to us right here. Furthermore, they happen in English so that I could ask people why they were doing the awful things or getting the awful things done to them. Anyway, I thought I'd observe the 1988 presidential race and then go to Washington for the first six months of the new administration, learn everything there is to know about government, and write a book. But the six months turned into two years. I'm not sure I learned anything except that giving money and power to government is like giving whiskey and car keys to teenage boys. And what resulted was not so much a book as a great digest of ignorance. Uh, Let's see, later in the book, actually here, we'll just, we'll read from the very first, very first chapter, just a bit on American civics. So he starts his exploration uh, by going and looking at an American civics textbook. It's it's titled American civics. And he writes, American civics is, of course, completely up to date. Its blurry, stilted photographs of people in unfashionable clothes are printed in color instead of black and white. Its large, sorry, its page layouts have been tarted up with cartoons, pastel type, and USA Today style lists of fun facts to suit the attention span of the Sesame Street generation. And dispersed throughout the book are little boxed items such as this. Can you guess? One of our presidents had a serious physical handicap. Who was he? Answer on page 578. The answer is not, by the way, Ronald Reagan and his handicap was Nancy. Let's read some from, I'm just picking a couple books here. Let's read some from Give War a Chance. And for this one, I'm going to actually read the dedication. He dedicates this book. Here we go. Like many men of my generation, I had an opportunity to give war a chance, and I promptly chickened out. I went to my draft physical in 1970 with a doctor's letter about my history of drug abuse. The letter was four and a half pages long with three and a half pages devoted to listing the drugs I've abused. I was shunted into the office of an army psychiatrist who, at the end of a 45-minute interview with me, was pounding his desk and shouting, You're fucked up! You don't belong in the army! He was certainly right on the first count and possibly right on the second. Anyway, I didn't have to go. But that, of course, meant someone else had to go in my place. I would like to dedicate this book to him. I hope you got back in one piece, fellow. I hope you are more used to your platoon mates than I would have been. I hope you're rich and happy now. And in 1971, when somebody punched me in the face for being a long-haired peace creep, I hope that was you. (sighs) I I really miss his writing. Uh, Okay, let's read the very end of the introduction to Give War a Chance. Uh, 
he says, he, he goes on this long explanation of how liberalism sucks and he sums it up and he says, liberalism is a philosophy of sniveling brats. And then he says, there, it was good to get that off my chest. Now that I've had my say, however, you may be wondering, don't I sometimes get called a Nazi? That's prescient. <laughs> yes, name-calling, in which conservatives such as myself are so loath to indulge, is a favorite tactic of the liberals. I have often been called a Nazi, and, although it is unfair, I don't let it bother me. I don't let it bother me for one simple reason. No one has ever had a fantasy about being tied to a bed and sexually ravished by someone dressed as a liberal. <sighs> Oh, here's, we'll, we'll read a little bit. The last part from this book that we'll read is he was in, since Ukraine is in the news, Kiev's in the news lately, he was in Kiev in 91. Uh, and th this is him writing about Kiev. He says, it's impossible to get decent Chinese takeout in China. Cuban cigars are rationed in Cuba, and that's all you need to know about communism. But communism is illegal in the USSR or the Soviet Union, or the Union of Sovereign So-and-So Republics, or whatever they're calling themselves. So when you order chicken Kiev in Kiev, chicken is Finnish, says the large money, mopey waiter, making two fists and banging his forearms together in the national signal for, we're out of it, or we're closed, or anyway, to hell with you. I never, get, I never did get to place an order. And later he says, but you couldn't blame communism. Communism was illegal, and communism was extra specially double illegal in Kiev. Kiev being the free and democratic capital of the entirely and completely, you bet, independent Republic of the Ukraine. On September 15th, the day I arrived, there was a huge rally downtown where thousands of citizens cheered as members of the Ukraine parliament officially declared the Ukraine independent. This is the fourth time they've officially declared this, said Marina. So I guess independence in these parts works the same way the restaurants do. Last book, last book, but I'm going to read a decent amount from this book. This book's from 1987. It's called Republican Party Reptile. And I'm going to, I'm going to read the entire, which is short, the entire uh, first part, which is called A Brief History of Man. You'll see that there's some things that he couldn't get away with saying nowadays. <clears throat> But I just like this. This is a brief history. He does it in like a page and a half. The history of the entire human species. Okay. Man developed in Africa. He has not continued to do so there. Previously, all the dinosaurs had died. Paleolithic, Neolithic, and other oddly named men spread. They used fire. But being very primitive, they used it for everything. Food, clothing, and bodily decoration. Caves were painted, also fixed up and furnished in a simple but attractive style. They were ideal for young couples who were just starting a human race. There was a fertile crescent and a cradle of civilization and several other things that the Sumerians combined to invent writing. Though they did not write novels or short stories, they wrote only clay tablets. The Egyptians built large items out of whatever came readily to hand. Jewishness cropped up and has never been successfully put down. At the same time, or slightly later, counting Phoenicians, there were the ancient Greeks. These were followed by the less ancient Greeks, who were, in turn, followed by Greeks even less ancient than that. 
The various periods of Greeks can be told apart by how silly the things at the top of their columns are. The less silly, the more ancient. The Greeks invented amateur theatrics, theatricals in the incredibly long poem that does not rhyme. It was a relief to all when their golden age was over. Greek philosophy, however, has survived the ages and gives us such modern concepts as atoms and platonic love affairs where no one gets laid. The most famous Greek, Alexander the Great, was not really a Greek at all. In modern parlance, we would call him Yugoslavian. He conquered what passed for the world at the time, but was made to give it back. Meanwhile, in China, there were the Chinese. Rome rose and fell. Barbarian hordes descended from wherever it is barbarian hordes descend from. They burned the library at Alexandria, destroying most of the great literary works of antiquity and bringing a gleam to the eye of anyone who's ever been forced to study the classics. The barbarians, who had time on their hands, invented feudalism, but it proved too complicated to survive anywhere but in the lexicon of liberal social critics when they discussed South America. Christianity, bubonic plague, and the use of moldboard plowshare spread. France had so many kings named Louis that they had to be numbered. The Dominican Republic was discovered by Columbus. The earth was proved to be out there somewhere and round instead of right here and flat. There was an extensive series of religious debates that killed everyone with an IQ of over 50. Prague was defenestrated. Poland was partitioned. The Russians still have the party they got. Napoleon menaced Europe. Then he didn't. Industrialization came to England, but has since left. There were some more wars, usually with the Germans, but not lately because we're friends again. America had a revolution, a great rebellion, a depression, the New Deal, and then some trouble with its young people during the late 60s. Which brings us up to the present, Sunday, February 1st at 10.45, no, 10.46 in the morning. Excuse us, but we've got to go out and get a times and fix breakfast for our dates. All right, last thing I'm going to read. I'm going to read about safety Nazis. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to skip a couple spots, but it should sort of flow. All right. But there is one menace to Western civilization, one assault on the free world, one threat to everything we value, which the president, he's talking about President Reagan, has yet to confront. I speak of the childproof bottle top. Now, a childproof bottle top is a fine thing for a child who has no job or other weighty responsibilities in life and can spend all day mastering the technique of opening bleach in cleaning fluid containers, a leisure pursuit much resorted to by children, as anyone can attest who has watched a three-year-old tackle the cap on a pint of bug poison with the agility of a pre-Seiko Swiss watchmaker. But an aspirin bottle equipped with such a device is a Gordian knot to an adult who drinks. Consequently, our nation is weakened. Life is filled with pain and sorrow, which facts cannot fail to touch the heart of any perceptive American. Therefore, no U.S. citizen with an IQ over 110 is sober after 6 p.m. in the evening. Yet, he didn't say p.m. He just said 6 in the evening. Yet we have allowed our country's most effective headache cures to be sealed like the tomb of Amenhotep IV, how can our elite confront Soviet hegemony, lower interest rates without fueling inflation, and draft a viable law of the sea treaty when their skulls are throbbing to the tune of the soundtrack for Zula Dawn? Alan's, Alan Ginsberg said he saw the best minds of his generation destroyed by madness. I have seen the best minds of my generation go to a bottle of Anison with a ball-peen hammer. 
There's an easy solution to all this. Place all the dangerous household substances out of reach in a crib or playpen and put the children under the sink. But childproof bottles, top, bottle tops are, in fact, only one aspect of a much larger problem. I was depressed the other week and did not know why. My finances were in no more than normal disarray. The girlfriend and I weren't getting along any worse than usual. I was not under indictment for any felony I could think of. Still, I was blue. Days passed before I realized what was the matter. My car was nagging me. I don't like seatbelts. They make me feel like a 19th century sea captain. If the car is going to have a wreck, that's its, its business. I will not be compelled to stay aboard. Yet each time I demur into fastening this contrivance, the car lets out a horrid electronic scold. And this sound is as nothing compared to the shriek when I open a door with the key left in the ignition. And other rude noises and annoying blinkers are rigged to let me know if I do anything else potentially detrimental to my well-being. Some newer model automobiles have actually recorded voices which speak about one's feckless habits and the tone used by wives during NFL playoffs. I'm told this is the wave of the future. I predict mayhem. A box of shotgun shells now devotes three full flaps to caveats and counsels advising against almost every conceivable kind of shooting activity and stopping just short of warning you not to own a gun at all. And the daily newspaper... Once replete with tales of exciting fire and police department actions, political scandals, and international Donnybrooks, is now filled with items about untidiness at, at toxic chemical dumps, hazardous toaster product recalls, and the cancer-causing properties of everything good on Earth. Something is happening to America, not something dangerous, but something all too safe. I see it in my lifelong friends. I am a child of the baby boomer a generation not known for its sane or cautious approach to things, yet suddenly my peers are giving up drinking, giving up smoking, cutting down on coffee, sugar, and salt. They will not eat red meat and now go to restaurants whose menus have caused me to stand on a chair yelling, flopsy, mopsy, cottontail, dinner is served. This from the generation of LSD, Weather Underground, and Altamont Rock Festival. And all in the name of safety. Our nation has withstood many divisions, North and, North and South, Black and White, Labor and Management, but I do not know if the country can survive division into smoking and non-smoking sections. America is a dangerous country. Safety has no place here. In fact, safety has no place anywhere. Everything that's fun in life is dangerous. Horse races, for instance, are very dangerous, but attempts to design a safe horse and the result is a cow, an appalling animal to watch at the trotters. And everything that isn't fun is dangerous, too. It's impossible to be alive and safe. It's very safe to be an inanimate object, but the carbon molecules who are our ancestors chose otherwise. And having once set upon a course of devouring things, we must submit to having other things occasionally attempt to devour us. This is painful, but pain is an important part of existence. No amount of hazard warnings on the back of our hand would keep us from thrusting it into a lion's mouth if that didn't hurt. Lions are in admitted short supply, but the same holds true for whirling Cuisinart blades and oil-burning space heaters. Pain is the body's way of showing us we're boneheads. A child growing up in an excessively safe environment may never learn that he is one, not until he gets married and has a wife to tell him so. Nor can death be avoided. Death is even more important than pain. Death was invented so we could have evolution. The process of Darwinian selection does not work on things that don't die. If it weren't for death, we would all still be amoebas, and we would have to eat by surrounding things with our butts. Also, a lack of death would result in an extraordinary number of old people, and the social security system is already overextended. 
Therefore, it is the duty of every patriotic, moral, and humanistic person among us to smoke, drink, drive like hell, shoot guns, own Corvairs, take saccharin, leave unmarked medicine bottles open all over the house, get in fistfights, start barbecue fires with gasoline, put dry cleaner bags over our heads, and run around barefoot without getting a tetanus shot. But I don't know how long we will be able to continue like this. The forces of safety are afoot in the land. I, for one, believe it is a conspiracy. A conspiracy of safety Nazis shouting, Sieg health! And seeking to trammel freedom, liberty, and large noisy parties. The safety Nazis advocate gun control, vigorous exercise, and health foods. The result can only be a disarmed, exhausted, and half-starved population ready to acquiesce to dictatorship of some kind. I do not know what the ultimate aims of the safety Nazis are, but the prevalence of flame-proof infant sleepwear argues that a totalitarian force is looking to someday use my children as fireplace tongs. Other than that, however, it will probably be a very safe dictatorship without the dive bombers, tanks, and huge artillery pieces, which are the only fun things about totalitarianism. All right, I know that was a lot of reading, um, but I wanted you to get a a glimpse into what PJR Works writing was if you if you haven't heard of him. Rest in peace, PJ. Try not to spill your drink. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been approved by Neil Young. Please consider canceling the responsible parties. Here's a list. Do you know what's fascist? When truckers refuse to deliver products to the ruling class. That's what the dictionary says. I swear. The continued war on drugs will require the distribution of free crack pipes. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science. Scientific and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.